Welcome to Design Thinking Games, a gaming and user experience podcast. Card-carrying UXers Tim Broadwater and Michael Schofield examine the player experience of board games, pen and paper role-playing games, live action games, and video games. Play through the backlog on your podcatcher of choice and on the web at designthinkinggames.com. I know that I we had kind of a question going on and we're in COVID times and it's not always easy to go out to your local game shop um, and play, you know, kind of board games or tabletop games with other people. Additionally, like people are less hesitant to kind of kind of come over to your house and do a board game night. Sure. I think that's changing, of course, um, with the times. But it begs the question that I think we asked each other, which is. What is the player experience like for single player, like role playing games and have either one of us played them before? And like, what are some really great examples of such? Yeah, I mean, this is a huge umbrella. I mean, you could talk about like The Witcher 3 as a single player RPG. There there are huge ones, Mm -hmm. Mass Effect, etc. And I... I guess like for like to kind of like prepare for um, this chat. I I'm kind of excluding those and I'm kind of and I'm personally sort of interested in like the single player tabletop RPG, like the rolling of dice or the flipping of cards or something like that, where the experience is. um, uh, There's no programmatic response. It's it's more it has less in common with a witcher or an Elden ring than it does a choose your own adventure style book where it's self-directed and it's self motivated. You have to have the will to take the next step and it's solo. It's solitaire, right? Um, this game that I'm sure yeah. people know. I don't, I don't know if Gen Z know because they didn't have to grow up with computers in which Solitaire and Minesweeper were like the only games that were baked in on it. But, you know, it's the idea of burning time yeah, by yourself. Yeah, I, I also – yeah, I know – I think that the majority of games that come out are – Video games, right? Yeah. Our single player. There's just, that's a market. And and I know we talked in previous episodes about um, the winner of the game year, the game of the year last year, mm-hmm. which was It Takes Two, which literally requires two players yeah. to play. Um, and this episode is almost kind of, I think, in flip side of coin to that. It's like, okay, if 90% of video games are, you know, single player Horizon Zero Dawn, Ghost of Tsushima, um, you know, Cyberpunk, whatever. There's so many. Yeah, I want to focus on tabletop games that are that way. Yeah. So, and I think that's how we kind of got to this kind of category. So, I'm just going to say, dazzle me with your wares. Yeah. <laughs> Show me what you got. What is your example? Yeah. So, so um, I have a couple because I've been kind of like playing these on my own. And, uh, one of the rings, one of the things I want to say in their defense is that, you know, something like the Witcher or like you said, Ghost of Tsushima have like teams of up to hundred or hundreds like of, uh, 
people who over the course of the product either engineer or design or make the strategic decisions or write it and it is ultimately a single player end user experience but it is a service provided by companies and so i've been playing um this our last episode talks a little bit about um how amused and interested we are in this burgeoning small TTRPG creator community that's coming up. And so mm-hmm. I've actually been playing like uh, a couple of games that I discovered through here, meaning that they were designed by like one person for the consumption of one person. And I find that there's, Oh, that's interesting. And so I'm just kind of like prefacing this as um, a, I'm coming into this with like an, an added respect for the art of this kind of design in the same way that like a novel writer is an individual telling a story and ultimately even if it is read by many people it is experienced individually so the game that like um i'm having fun with in uh in a particular way is this um single player i don't even know how to describe it it's like a single player journaling rpg called uh, 1000 year old vampire and mm. the, the the conceit is that you are telling the story as yourself of a vampire from the from just before you were brought into this dark world of immortality through history and into the modern age. What's kind of like compelling is that this is similar to a choose your own adventure, that it is really a game that is designed around a series of prompts. You, um, uh, you, you roll some dice, um, and a, random prompt emerges kind of uh it, it, it emerges you have to find it in the book right um but you are pointed to a particular prompt and that prompt gives you a situation that you then have to solve with the resources that your thousand year old vampire has on them at the moment their various skills that they have uh, prepared at that moment and the memories and situational awareness that they have um, as part of that. And so what's really cool is that as you progress, you know, you create your character and um, you begin with a number of resources. Uh, It's like five items um, that have real meaning to you, something that like a locket that your loved one gave you to remember them by some other things and what what did you say the name of this game was yeah it's it's called a thousand year old vampire okay and it's a tabletop board game right it's a tabletop it's a it's a single player rpg right there's no board to it at all it's like a journal it happens i'm playing it in a spreadsheet right so this is um uh, a role-playing game that is like in my mind and using a spreadsheet. Um, specifically, I'm using an Airtable. It's effectively like a timeline. So um, so there are two ways to play. I don't know if I'm selling this as well. The, um, 
ultimately what's happening, like the actual artifact of play is um, a, a timeline. You are crafting a history that tells the story of your vampire, you know, from conception until death. And um, you can take this the journalistic approach. So like you respond to the prompt with like a novel. This is or not a novel, but like say like 500 words or something like that. And you ultimately use it as a as like a writer's prompt to craft. Um, And that's kind of how I'm playing it. But the idea is ultimately you're telling a story and the prompt comes up that maybe you um, you aren't able to control your thirst and you kill somebody you love. Remove um, remove somebody from your contacts list um, and remove like one skill and remove one resource or, or something like that. Um, and your resource and your skills and your contacts list, the people that you have are Um, Again, they're just like bullet points. You have like five each, sometimes seven, sometimes three or whatever. And you expend them as you go and you gain new ones as you go as well. And the goal is that given the prompt, you solve, you find your way through the prompt or you respond and uh, or you respond to that prompt or tell the story of that prompt using the resources that you currently have on you. And this game has been. This game is like from 2019. It was on Kickstarter. It was successfully backed and it's been reviewed by a bunch of places like Shut Up and Sit Down, which is pretty awesome. And other places, it seems to be. The story that emerges is unique. Um, It's not a story like Vampire. Like, so if you're playing like Vampire the Masquerade and you enjoy this kind of like vampire tale, you can imagine that, oh, uh, like you're a vampire of a certain stereotype or specifically a vampire of the masquerade, you are constrained by the rules of the game and the clans that are provided. And your vampire has a certain life until it's stuffed out by, you know, the prince of the city or something like this. In this case, the, the only designation of like what it is to be a vampire is that you have been transformed and now you cannot die yet. And you are consumed by this monstrous hunger. So so whether or not you're just like an immortal creature that must devour like others whole or you're a vampire that drinks like sexy blood (laughs) or or something like that is is really part of like the story you're telling. Wait, did you just say sexy blood? Sexy blood. Yeah. Yeah. You know, when like Lestat like bites down into the neck of the. of the prostitute in uh, 18th century New Orleans, and she goes, "Oh!" <laughs> and there's like like two lines of like blood. That's that's a uh, that's like sexy blood. Sexy blood. <laughs> so 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 I unlike made- the Clive Barker <laughs> version of sexy blood, which is. Centuries of suffering, or whatever, yeah. from Cenobite, like Pinhead. Okay, yeah, exactly. Like I love that. Like, uh, well, because like, yeah, you know, Clive Barker doesn't have like sexy blood. He has the midnight meat train, right? Um, and uh, but uh, but it's but the talking, the like the the words that come from the Cenobites are always just <laughs> oh, like so oh, I have such pain to show you. Yeah, you know. 
it's like you will know the delights of endless suffering. <laughs> it's like, all right, tell me more, Pin Daddy. <laughs> <laughs> it's amazing. <laughs> We are super privileged to be brought to you by Dice Tower Theater because our show is designed to tease apart mechanics and other aspects of game design so we can better understand why they impact us. But this wonkery didn't start because we were born middle-aged. It began with fandom and escapism. When we're throwing dice at the table, we're not hyper-focused on reasons why someone gets advantage. We are the there. The blue flame has the great risk, correct? Are you sure, Sophie? I foresee a path you can understand, let alone tread, but you will have to walk yourself. As they venture into their fourth season, over 12 hours of story, Dice Tower Theater rekindles that original feeling we get. Are your minds made up too? Then step into the room behind me, adventurous. I wish you find what you seek and can heal your world. Dice Tower Theater, wherever you find your favorite podcasts. game that I'm thinking of is called Unknown, and it came out in 2016. Um, And then it has um, Robert Cutter as the designer, and I think, um, and I... I met him. And so let me give you some context there. Um, There is um, before COVID um, I went to attend MAGFest in uh, DC. Mm -hmm. Uh, MAGFest is the music and gaming festival. And so it is kind of titled or it's claimed to fame is that this is the con for con goers, not for big gaming industries. So, um, so it's a music and gaming festival that has musicians that compose music for video games come to it. Um, it has tabletop board gaming, but it's predominantly video games. Um, and they have like an entire area that is for the length of the con four or five days. There's this, arcade set up and i mean arcade the size of a mall and so you could there's so many games that you could just go at three in the morning and play like the japanese arcade game sailor moon you know or you could um go they have a whole section where it's just blank tvs and so you can go just play xbox games or switch games or whatever because they have everything so it's a video game kind of conference video Mm -hmm. game and music Anyways, there was a section that's a tabletop. There's a whole tabletop section. And um, in the tabletop section, there was a guy just sitting there and he was just like giving demos of his games. And I sat down and apparently it was Robert Cutter, the designer of the game. And he, um, you know, he kind of showed this game that the things that hit me immediately is that it looked like betrayal at House on the Hill to where when you're building out your map, you're just adding tiles that are random. And yeah, so you don't know like what that. rooms you're getting. And uh, and that the thing that also boggled me is he's like, hey, this is a one to six player game. And I was like, what do you mean one? And he's like, oh yeah, you can, he's like, there are scenarios and stories that are sequential. 
and you can be a single player and play it. You don't, you don't have to have six players or four players. You can play it by yourself. And so there, as you probably know, there are very few tabletop board games yeah. that you can just solo, right? And so I was like, okay, well, let me check this out. Did the demo, thought it was great, and I bought the game. You know, the game is unknown, came out in 2016. You are among a group of survivors that were smart enough to hide underground when the war came <laughs> to your city. While there are many people here, only a few of you have volunteered to venture out past the relative safety of your makeshift camp in the tunnels. So no one knows what's out there. Um, staying alive isn't easy. Mm -hmm. um, your team must explore or yourself. Uh, but when you're playing at single player, you control a team. Um, your team must explore the nearby tunnels in order to keep the base camp supplied. And so it's kind of like a single player game to multiplayer game um, to where you are exploring outside of your bunker. And then what you're looking for are food, equipment, technology, weapons. And so you're just kind of um, scavenging, right? Like you're a scavenger, like in this post-war, post-apocalyptic time. And so... So imagine like you start on a tile that is like, hey, here's the base and we have like 20 people living here. Um, yeah. You have a team that you control to where um, there's people who are like um, different classes can do different things, uh, which is kind of to me, it's kind of like pandemic to where it's like, hey, this person can move more spaces or this person can heal because they're a doctor this person can fire weapons more effectively because they used to be a hunter or a soldier or, or a police officer right and so there are these ever increasing difficulty scenarios that kind of happen the first one is really like hey go out there um and just secure the bunker to make sure no one can get in. Right. Um, and because of this war, there's like mutants and like people have been turned into like monsters and whatever. And so uh, you're, uh, it's kind of also kind of like um, where you, you need to get enough food to keep the, uh, the people that you have at your home base alive. But then you also need weapons to defend yourself and you need to set up barricades and so it's very much that kind of game. And uh, it is really enjoyable. So if you wanted to imagine like if you played um, Betrayal at House on the Hill, like, but it was just a single player game and you controlled yeah. everyone. Um, and you're controlling the monsters. The monsters have like a mutant that breaks into your your tunnel and is trying to get to your bunker like they have a set movement they have a set attack they they do these things every round right and so you also are like trying to get armor and food and equipment to survive and um there are also there's like a mechanic system for it to where you can do each of them like when you think of a video game you're like hey i just want story mode super yeah. easy or yeah. i just want normal or i want hard or like epic hard um, or God mode or something like that. Um, you have those in this game by just slightly tweaking the scenarios. You can alter the difficulty of the different scenarios you're trying to, to complete. And so um, just doing the easy, the first scenario on easy is challenging because it's kind of that um, 
the economy of moves and strategy that, you know, kind of comes with like Forbidden Desert Mm -hmm. or Pandemic to where you're like, dude, I know these mutant dogs are about to break into, (laughs) you know, our bunker and they are going to kill the people there. I need to set up a barricade, but I also need to get a weapon to defeat the mutant dogs. And, and so it's very along that, um, line of fallout post-apocalyptic but then in the mechanics of uh betrayal at house on the hill with kind of action economy that comes in from like pandemic i know that sounds like a really weird hybrid but um it's super cool and then the the board itself are like these tiles you lay down that are squares but then the cards as well as it has a ton of like wooden tokens for yeah players and you know the monsters and everything so it's actually really and it's you know i didn't know this because i just did the demo and i thought it was cool and i wanted to buy it but it's actually rated really well like on board game geek and so um i would highly suggest it to anyone who hey it's if you want a dual purpose like a game that you can play yourself that's a role-playing game and see if you can get through these scenarios um, but then you also want to be able to take that game and say, Hey, I can, I also want to play this with three other people or five other people. You can. So it has that level of adaptability. Guys, playtesting is hard. If you've ever done that, you know how much of a struggle it can be. And if you haven't, you need to. It's part of good game design. That's why I'm super happy that this season of Design Thinking Games is brought to you by Playtest Kit. Literally playtestkit.com, which is designed by Steve Bromley to help us draw reliable, evidence-based conclusions that inform our design decisions. It gives us all the templates and guidance that we need to test prototypes, types, recruit, pick the right method, interview people, write surveys, and most importantly, configure and analyze the data so that we can do something useful with it. So whether you've never run a playtest before or you're a pro, this kit is going to save you time and help you get more value from each test you run. So sign up for free resources or go to get the full kit at playtestkit.com. And for the rest of the season, this season only of Design Thinking Games, use the code design thinking to get 10% off and let Steve know who sent you. I, the people who did Here to Slay and Unstable Unicorns, they have now a Kickstarter that's out for for a thing for a new game that comes out next year it's called casting shadows it's a new tabletop board game and i'm gonna plug them because i love their they have a really good game studio and all their games are super fun so if you ever played happy dinosaur unstable unicorns or here to slay they're all really good games right but what you're seeing is like an adaptability so it's like hey back us you get the first the one through four player game. But if you do the next tier, you get the expansion, which makes it like six players. Yeah. And if you do the next tier, you get the DLC or like the additional content, which adds this mechanic or this kind of thing. 
And so it makes me think of like video games, right? To where you have DLC and add-ons and you're doing these things to do it. But like board games are, I'm now seeing increasingly have like all of these mechanics to make, add additional players to open it up or to add monsters or to add a whole different type of agency or mechanics. And so it, it occurred to me that there's something about like the difficulty level of like a single player RPG that correlates with, um, I don't know, not to say it correlates with it being good, but I think correlates with it being rated critically well. And like, I, mm. I'm only saying that because, um, like as I, as you talk and as, and as I talk, I, I'm, you know, a thousand year old vampire has a cognitive load to it that is, um, well, that exists. And yours has a likelihood of failure. Um, mm-hmm. You know, the, 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 the game of the moment now, the zeitgeist of the moment now is Elden Ring, which is a single player RPG, which is defying, <clears throat> which is defying the, I think the critical expectations. But I wonder if there's something performative about Elden Ring with it being so difficult. It's like you're watching, like Elden, Elden Ring is, is in part popular not exclusively popular, but I, I imagine a certain crowd is into Elden Ring, not because the game itself would appeal to them on their own. Like for me, I've I've chosen not to play it. Uh, a couple episodes ago, I had talked about really looking forward to it. I know you talked about getting it for a yeah. while and checking it out because um, it looks really beautiful, you know? Yeah, and... But like I've I've decided from reviews that it's not a game that I probably will enjoy. But I but mm-hmm. I but think about like the performative aspect is like when it when you're watching um like like an athlete do something, uh there's something about the popularity of Elden Ring as a social me as like for streamers, like a, like Elden Ring TikTok is like a thing, of course, on Twitch or whatever. Yeah. And it's because they're trying to overcome these like really difficult situations with high chance mm-hmm. of failure. Um, and so, like, you know, I, I think about like the 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 player experience for a game like Elden Ring, but mm-hmm. like but like whatever, any Soulsborne maybe any medium, something that has high failure potential. And like, I can Mm -hmm. see that maybe you go to that because the dopamine hit of success is greater than like the, um, the punch in the gut of failure. Um, this but, is we're right back to Pinhead again. Yeah, that was the yeah. epic suffering. <laughs> the, no, I mean, the ages like, of suffering. You know, the um, yeah, no, um, like uh, you know, Leviathan, the 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 god of the Cenobites, probably is some sort of like a cro- aquatic creature straight out of the minds of like folks who designed Elden Ring and like the other Souls board <laughs> games. You know, it's dude. There is literally an Elden Ring Cenobite. Who's just like, you'll never beat this game. Oh, it hurts so much. <laughs> Lick your soul. Oh, you're suffering. You know, it's just like, dude, I know I hear what you're saying. And I, I think like I take those games back. Same. I know we've talked about this before, but I, if the appeal is I get beautiful in single player and RPG. OK, I get it. You know, I think of Breath of the Wild, Horizon Zero Dawn, right. Ghost of Tsushima. I rage quit 
um, Dark Souls after yeah. an hour. I'm like, fuck this game. I'm never playing it again. And I really liked the story that was being sold to me about Sekiro, Shadows Die Twice. Yeah. You're a ninja mm-hmm. who has his arm cut off and you have this prosthetic arm that is like robotic and transformative and it like turns into all these like ninja cool ninja weapons that throw stars it is so difficult after four hours in the game i was like screw this and i took it right back to get store credit from like gamestop um and so yeah i i talking about those difficulty levels right like when i play Horizon Zero Dawn. I'm like, put it in story mode, or, or when I did Mass Effect, story mode. I don't, I don't sure. want, I don't want to like hate combat to the point to where I'm not able to pers- proceed, right? And I think, you know, the default is, and this is kind of like what Unknown does. It does kind of what your typical game does, which is like, oh, easy light mode, mm-hmm. increase the difficulty, or here's like the God mode, or like <laughs> insane, right? I don't know, and I know we've talked about Hades before. Hades actually has a really cool way that's not punishing that lets you do it. Every time you die, you get a 2% shield buff. And so once you've died 40 times, you've got an 80% (laughs) shield buff. And so then at some point, it's like, dude, you've died 50 times playing this game. So we're going to give you like a like a shield buff to a certain point of damage. So I don't feel like I have to, it doesn't make me as the player feel like I have to put it into easy mode because I can't hack it or I'm not good. You also don't have to get good, you know? Yeah, exactly. The game dynamically recognizes you're having problems and I'm going to apply this kind of buff to you that reduces a percentage of damage. Now I can turn that off if I want, but I don't. I'm just like, well, I trust the game to know that I'm dying over and over again. So <laughs> if it's going to give it to me, then I'm just going to keep playing and it and I enjoy it, you know? Yeah. Design Thinking Games is a proud affiliate of Hunt a Killer. Enter the world of Hunt a Killer in their newest murder mystery season, Mallory Rock. This realistic murder mystery game delivers high-quality, handcrafted evidence that brings a fictional case to life. Can you solve a mystery with Hunt a Killer? Go to designthinkinggames.com slash huntakiller or click on the banner at the bottom of our website. What's cool is that there is like a wealth of these single-player experiences to you know scratch or get good itch scratch a performative itch or or you know pass the time in whatever way you need um i think a single player thing is like i need to adjust the difficulty for me because this is just me playing this and me enjoying it right i'm not logging online to play smash brothers or mario kart you know when you play online with other people there's kind of a agreed upon difficulty level and yeah. settings, right? And so you're not jumping into like Super Smash Brothers or Mario Kart or Fallout, not Fallout, but um, Fall Guys or like any other Dead by Daylight or any other online game. And you're saying like, hey, guys, let's put it in easy mode. No, that doesn't exist even mm-hmm. most of the times because it's like no, the agreed upon thing is that there is a set of difficulty and rules that this is how it happens. But when you're playing single player... <laughs> Um, 
it's kind of like, well, dude, I don't enjoy this. So I, I want to make it easy. I want it in story mode. Or maybe I do really enjoy it and I want to put it on God mode to like make it yeah. so difficult. Yeah. Um, and I think that comes down um, to, you know, the player preference. But between the unknown game and the thousand, excuse me, thousand year old vampire, I mean, uh, I think those are, I think there's a, probably a lot of other single player games out there. Um, single player role-playing games that are tabletop based or not video games that, and I'd like to like, look at some more. Thank you for listening to design thinking games. Uh, season two is an experience as we settle into uh, this. And I hope that you're enjoying it. And if you do, and it's your thing. If you can star heart or favorite this episode on your podcatcher of choice, tell a friend. Um, this helps shine uh, the algorithm in our favor. Um, if you would like to support us in more um, monetary ways, you, of course, can join us on patreon.com slash design thinking games, where you could get this very episode a whole week early with no ads. But if you indeed love the ads that you have maybe heard during this episode um, and you want to buy one, we are incredibly cheap and affordable. And we really enjoy kind of like putting these ads together, especially to help small creators like us grow with us. So consider um, consider buying an ad like us on Twitter and on TikTok. We've been posting TikToks to design thinking games. And I mean, I think you can see on my screen right now that I have this strange puzzle box that says, do not open until the end of the episode. I'm going to rub my thumb around the circle and it clicks open. Oh, no. Oh, no. The lights are shining through the walls. What? What is that creature? <laughs> <laughs> we'll tear your soul apart. We have such sights to show you at designthinkinggames.com. <laughs> Thank you for listening to the Design Thinking Games podcast. You only have so much time, and it means a lot you shared it with us. To connect with your hosts, Michael or Tim, visit Design Thinking Games on TikTok, Twitch, and Twitter. DMs are open. You can also check out designthinkinggames.com where you can request topics, ask questions, or see what else is going on. Until next time, game on.